0: No, I was going to make some extremely crude joke and I won't do that. <laughs>
1: go on, it's like- going to go at the start of the podcast. Come Come amongst, on. Friends, amongst friends, go
0: on. I like my
2: magic like I like my women. You can't say that anymore. How many times have I told
1: you? Right, right,
3: right, 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 right. Hi, this is Steve, a.k.a. at allanthar on Twitter. And here are some more of my gaming vexes. tackle the hallowed subject of Warhammer fantasy roleplay. Although we make sure to leave the thorny subject of how to pronounce its various abbreviations well alone, I know what arguments that can lead to. As you'll hear, there are a range of levels of experience represented here, from relative newcomers to some real hoary old Reeklanders, out to show the new recruits the glories of the Empire. I'll leave it to you to decide who's who in this scenario. Still, as with our gaming in Middle Earth episode, we do get into the weeds somewhat, so fair warning, there is quite a lot of chuntering. Or perhaps that's what brings you to the show in the first place, in which case you're very welcome to our not so unique selling point. Before we get on with the chuntering, I mean the insightful discussion, we've received our first written review on iTunes. This is what none other than Dirk the Dice has to say about us. After game Chat Perfected. This is an RPG podcast with inbuilt enthusiasm, curiosity and a sense of fun. Steve, the Carmen Collected host, is working through his game collection, making sure that they all get played. After he's played, he invites everyone around to chat about it and share their thoughts about the experience. You'll learn stuff along the way, but more importantly, you'll be entertained by listening. Recommended. Thanks Dirk, that means a lot. If you listen via iTunes and feel inclined to leave a five-star review and perhaps a few lines of encouragement for this rubbish, all contributions will be gratefully received. Alternatively, get in touch via Twitter or you can leave a voice message for us on the podcast webpage and Anchor. Anyway, enough of that. Now it's time to embrace the squalor and corruption of the old world. Get ready. So, we're here to discuss, one of fancy fancy roleplay, that grand old man, grand old person, we'll call it that, <laughs> of the British OSR scene. And with me uh, this evening, I've got four stalwarts, and uh, if you'd like to introduce yourselves.
0: Hello, I'm uh, Dave Patterson. Uh, I'm at Dave Patters
2: on Twitter. Yeah, Hi, I'm Rick Knott, at Lynn Tillers with a Z on Twitter, and I am a virgin, or was? You were. No, I not. was,
3: yeah. Oh, I had a role in that. <laughs> but we'll, we'll go
2: forward about that one. I'm uh Neil Benson,
4: also known as Old Scouts at RPing on Twitter.
1: Uh, so yeah, uh Graeme no longer do Twitter. I'm off that a wee bit ago, but uh, um on various gaming so as uh, Kenny Graham does score Excellent. some of these other ones. So,
3: Warhammer Fancy Roleplay, or Wuff Ruff, let's talk a little bit about the game itself. So, Graham, I think you've done a little bit of, bit of homework on this, so do you want to give us the benefit yeah, of yeah, your, so this, this, is, this is unknown on this podcast. Ooh. I mean, on a certain other podcast, <laughs> people do actual research <laughs> This is
1: the first time, so you're on. great go. Well, I think this is it. I'd uh, listened to uh, Dave's excellent podcast, and uh, there's a, there's a few contributors there who are renowned for their research. so I thought I'd uh, try and elevate yours, Steve. <laughs> try and bring it up to his level. So he um, needs,
3: needs all the help he can get.
1: God damn it! <laughs> uh, uh, so I've done a full A4 page of scribblings. Wow. So, uh, so uh, yeah, so I would consider myself an early. A doctor of from, although we didn't call it back then, that seems to be a new, thing I've heard lately. We didn't buy as a group, uh, was it wasn't me, it was a friend of mine bought the original Warhammer box set, which was like the kind of white box. I think you'd consider that like version zero now because it's not considered woof proper because it's, it's, yeah, yeah, that one. I've got it here as well. I've I've actually got the box. That's beautiful. Beautiful. uh, Just for the
3: listeners at home, everyone's rushing to their shelves and pulling (laughs) off the boxes. There we go. I haven't got one of those. I feel feel, feel left out. I'm going to have to go and buy one on eBay now.
1: It's very, uh, the only sort of DNA you can see in it is the kind of stats, Mm. And apart from that, it's very generic fantasy. Um, mm. So I think we bought that out of curiosity, never went with it. But so, it
3: was badged as sort of a, a, role play, a tabletop role-playing game, wasn't it? But it was, I
1: mean, was, uh, was kind of hybrid, really. I mean, yeah. it was it was kind of, they were already gearing up to do their Citadel miniatures, tie-in, you know, cell miniatures with a mm. game. Uh, so that was like maybe people would consider that. The very early stages of games Workshop shot into the dark side and, and concentrating on that kind of thing. But eventually, yeah, the the good old warfare as we'd, we'd consider it came along. So, so I've got a very early memory of this. Cause, so we go back to it's October 1986 and it's White Dwarf issue 82, which came out mm-hmm. with the field cover of the game. And that was their, their big, promotion of it and they actually ran as a sort of mail order competition so the idea was you you said you had to answer some crazy answers role-playing games and you sent this thing off and the first 50 apparently got a free copy and then the first 500 after that which makes you question how many people actually on that submitted a question or submitted the, the form but basically 500 after that won uh, i think about a 20 percent discount so the prices Back in the good old days, 14.95, and if you won this, if you won the competition, you got a free cup. Comp- if you were a runner-up, you'd be off it. So I was a runner-up, uh, and okay. I, I gladly sent off my order and in uh, him. So uh-huh. I never looked back then, so it's, it's definitely one of my favourite games. A big, beautiful hardback arrived through the post. That, and, uh,
3: that was the thing that struck me, me about it, it, actually, when it was first released. I mean, number one... It was a big, lovely hardback, and, and actually it was quite different because a lot of games were boxed then, so actually to have hardbacks yeah. was, especially a big a big hardback like it was quite different. It was bloody good value. I remember, I mean, I, I bought it just because it looked bloody great. I mean, I st- still do the same thing. I still buy things because look great, you know. <laughs> did you play a lot of it back in the day, Graham?
1: Yeah, we did. I sort of played uh, the initial scenario, which is in the book. Oldenhauer contract, I think that mm-hmm. was called. So yep. I ran that. I ran that for a group. Uh, I was in, so basically it was in two gaming groups at a time. So I ran that for one of the groups, and then and, and not long after they they started releasing, which would the Enemy Within campaign. So it was like Shadows mm-hmm. of Our Bogan Half and the Enemy mm-hmm. Within, just like in a campaign pack and guide to the Empire, and yeah. also had the initial scenario of the campaign. So and I kind of launched into it sort of pretty early and and got going with it. So. Yeah, I played quite a bit of it. I mean, uh, we basically, with that group, played the end within as far as we could sort of take it feasibly, right, okay. realistically, which was something way up to like the fourth chapter, which was called Something Rotten in Kiesliff. And then there was probably a gap after that before the final chapter came out. At that time, you know, you were tradition between just like being a gaming group, which stayed together after school. But by the time the final chapters were out, you know, we'd,
3: like everyone had done. to separate...
1: Yeah, people were going to uni in different corners. Same, of same old story, yeah, yeah. <laughs> same so sad old story. Someone was actually quite pleased that we got as far as we did with it, but that's the final good. chapter came out, of group and dissolved it. A...
3: That's quite good. I mean, because the thing there was a lot of competition for, for attention that time, wasn't there? I've not played at loads, if I'm honest, but
4: the first time I played it was at university, um, mm. so it'd been 1991. Um uh, okay. there, there was, um, a, a yeah, as is typical then and now i'm sure um it was a uh a, a, a rpg club and um yeah and, and uh, there was a game going on there of uh, warhammer and um and i knew the the, the gm as was was uh kind of in the same digs as me so uh so it was you know so it seemed like a natural choice um i didn't know loads about the game i think i think it kind of had a a bit of a dim view about mm. Games Workshop yeah. at the time, if I'm honest, all that, like, spiky death.
3: Well, you, you were about five yeah. years on from, from release there, weren't you? So, it And, and GW yeah. had gone through a, a massive shift, yeah. didn't they? So they, they were full-on, because I, I worked for Games Workshop in 91, mm. actually. So mm. I was working there from, 90, yeah, no, no, 1990 to 91. Mm. So, yeah, and it was, like, in that period, everything that wasn't Warhammer or 40K, disappeared off the shelves completely. So that was yeah. when TSR got dumped,
4: you know, yeah. that period. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and but I didn't play it again then for a long, long time, uh, probably about three years ago, maybe, mm. three, three or four years ago. There's another uh, guy, Steve, I know from San mm. Diego. He um, ran it for himself, and uh, I think it was second edition, he must have, uh, he ran, and I really enjoyed that. And then that was it until... Obviously, a few weeks ago.
3: Rick, what was your history with with
2: Woofrup? As I said, really, I didn't have any... I mean, I remember getting that, the version zero, so the book set, the one that says the Mass Combat Fantasy role-playing game, which is covering a lot of bases. But I remember yeah. getting that for Christmas and thinking, oh, this is going to be amazing, and looking in it and thinking, that's not it really, and just being quite disappointed. And I don't know if that covered my, rather coloured my view of it. But genuinely, the first time I've actually played it, when I played it with you guys. Mm-hmm. So I was a completely blank slate when I actually turned up, i be but- very very interesting.
3: One you people. must have you must have had a, a knowledge of the the background, the so the, the bit of the law of the world. So you must have absorbed or was that again, was that quite quite new to you as well? It or was. you just absorb it <laughs> I think it's
2: Literally It is that You just kind of Pick up bits and bobs And kind of What it's like And you you know You hear a lot of The small vicious tra- and You get You get an idea Of what the whole Thing is like And I knew it Would have be. been It sounded like It would be a lot of fun And that's exactly what it
0: was So I, I bought the, That original game And I think Not a million miles away From everybody else's experience All of a sudden It was supposed to be You almost interrupted The mass combat bit To perhaps go and do A bit of a dungeon delve hmm. But but even so, you sort of couldn't get away from the fact that it was all over White Dwarf. And and yeah. when your sort of principal light being shone onto role-playing games was White Dwarf, yeah. I think that may have been where you're sort of absorbing it all from. Then when, by the time they released what would have probably been either first or second edition, depending on where you sort of sit, mm-hmm. at October 1986, we were all going to university. So by that stage, it was sort of, uh, we pick, we did pick it up. We did play a bit. Uh, I had they had a couple of of scenario packs as well so Mm they put hard copy books the nameless dead Uh, so we did we did a bit of that but by that stage we'd had dragon warriors for quite a while and sort of if you're hunting around for a british rpg we'd got into dragon warriors and were busily sort of working our way through that even even at that stage so it wasn't a terrific amount but 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 loved the game Mm -hmm. thought it was brilliant looked fantastic i think it was head and shoulders above yeah. virtually everything else that was out there at the time you know it seemed to be slightly better organised and you had all these brilliant fun elements which were mainly related to sort of character generation i guess but i think the other thing was it just it just really felt british i don't know whether that's uh...
3: yeah if i think about my original sort of experience of it. And I think we're going to segue then into actually what's the core appeal of it. I mean, just very quickly, I mean, yeah, like everybody else, you know, very similar experience. But I actually started playing after university, so I picked up the rule Book. We had a friend who was running it, so he ran us through... I think probably the first elements of the Enemy Within campaign, and then we we started playing the Doomstones campaign. Do you remember Doomstones? Flame Publications—they did that, and and again, it was it was pretty poor quality. Well, let's say the thing that stuck it in my mind was one of the goblins would say. Uh, one of their re- rejoinders when you re- encountered was, "I'm going to bash your danglies flat." So that's <laughs> that's the thing that stuck in my mind. It petered off. the The, the quality of that writing wasn't as good as some of the earlier stuff. But I think that there obviously is longevity there. It obviously is something that means that we engage with it. And and Rick, you say that you've. It's almost like you absorbed it through your, your, your game of pause, if you like, didn't you? Yeah. And I think I think part of that is it is very British, Dave. I think, it, well, to me, it seems very British. Some of the jokes there, some of the names were like obvious Mickey takes of politicians or people at the time. And actually, when you when you look at it, the, the, the background is is pretty generic in a lot of ways. You know, mm. you got your halflings, you got your elves, you got your dwarves, and they behave in a what became a generic way through how well certainly so the GW lens anyway. So actually the barrier to entry was for, for, to my mind was was pretty low. game seems to be very popular now is it something that's pure nostalgia is it something that actually offers something different what are your thoughts about that
0: the big thing for me it's one of those games where you could sort of keep in touch with it through as martin cookson is always saying through lonely fun because the character generation was so much fun it's one of those we have a huge nostalgia for it. it's a little bit like traveler as well in the same in the same vein you know everybody has to bring up
3: traveler in here i'm not having any <laughs> lasting, uh, arguments in this podcast but, this but is a said, cozy fireside chat
0: thank you <laughs> uh, no opprobrium coming I, I think it almost was a game within itself you know all the ran various random tables and what sort of characters you were going to be generated i thought was a big draw to me so when it came back out funny enough actually i bought a Spiehander before this was re-released in the interim i hadn't picked up any of the other versions but i did pick up sort of spy i thought oh uh, wonder whether they're going to be bringing out and learn behold another version of wolf comes out and then so for me it was a game you could keep touch with because there were so many fond memories about it it's it's always been fairly true to it you know it's not like some other games where you know it's almost impossible to die it's almost part of the the significant fun is developing the story around how you die yeah. you know and when you die and because it is so sort of unremittingly dark there's just lots to it there's
3: depth to it and uh it almost feels like you can't go too far with it it sort of feels a bit like well shoe doesn't it really you know because I think you know it so easily or know so well certainly if you've grown up in that period just check your shoes for having something in them before you <laughs> put them on
1: well I think you've got to examine um, the reason it appealed when it first came out I was listening to the guys in the Smart Party talking about it quite recently and they were like they were kind of almost I think they said like you know it probably shouldn't have worked but it did I think it was in the right place at the right time I don't think this is an original comment but I'll say it in an amusing regional accent so that works for your <laughs> that works for your podcast Um <laughs> Uh it's almost like a fusion between like three or four games that were going at a time and were very popular at a time. So it had the D D thing. So you've got your standard D fantasy tropes, demi-humans, elves, halflings token-esque dwarves. Uh bash that into Call of Cthulhu. So a lot of the plots are to do with evil gods, dark cults, a certain sort of gothic sort of sensibility. Mm. And then it's got a kind of room quest, percentile style system, critical hits. Hit locations. Um, so well, they were like three of the biggest games at the time: D and D, Cthulhu, RuneQuest, and along comes uh, Warhammer, which kind of sits—it's kind of—it's kind of like a, a center of like an event diagram, taking in some of those parts.
4: Yeah, cl- clearly a lot of thought has, has gone into it. You, you know, not not just um, yeah, you know, it's a commercial product, I would guess they they understood their target audience really well or the target market they were going for. Uh, and, and they they nailed that, you know. Mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, um, Yeah, and, and obviously that's, you know, that has stood the test of time.
1: And then I actually think the, the, the Germanic Empire, which is the fourth component, that was kind of original. Mm-hmm. And that, that for me, kind of sold it when I first got into it. A combination of the writing for it and the artwork for it, just completely... I go back to that original Joe White Dwarf, which started promoting the game just before it came out. And it was a piece of fiction which came as a little sort of, sort of spread, of fiction in that, and it was all about a guy who'd been, who was basically a witch hunter who'd been imprisoned by the authorities, and then he realizes the authorities are in league with the, the dark powers. And it's quite interesting as a sidestep, because that the guy has a kind of vision when he was locked up in his cell, which completely explains the whole kind of the canon on, and lore, mm-hmm. and and a couple of paragraphs of the whole Warhammer world. Uh, but anyway, the, the the fact that it's kind of got a dark ending, and that mm. to me felt kind of very cocky feel as well, which was, I was heavily into. But that kind of whole German gothic, mm. the castles, the John Blanche artwork, the cover yeah. for the Enemy, Enemy Within campaign, uh, with, mm. I think it's supposed to be Null, the city. But, you know, it's all these high towers, kind of slightly for, further forward from a, a kind of medieval thing. That just completely sold me. So why is it endured? The one thing I'd say is that people miss about Warhammer are, are they kind of seem to miss in the promotion. It's like the the secret is it the humour of, of Warhammer. They call it a grim world of dark and perilous adventure, or yeah. to paraphrase, they never mention the humour. You know, the humor's yeah. not there. But for me, the humour is like a, a key component, yeah.
3: uh, especially in the earlier stuff, yeah. the stuff that came out. You know, in, in this sort of yeah, the, yeah
1: the, the other stuff, and you know, and and I'll maybe get to later. I'm running it now, and like I don't know. The humour seems almost kind of built in. It's just mm-hmm. um, it's that kind of Python esque or Blackadder esque. You know, there's a kind of dark you know it's all gonna end badly. B- bitter, sarcastic
0: sort of gallows humour as well. Gallows humour, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: that's I'm amazed it's still going to promote we're in the fourth edition of it now or mm-hmm. fifth edition, depending on how you count it. Mm-hmm. And, it but, and it doesn't seem to feature maybe the Americans just you know, I listen to American podcasts a bit more I mean, I'm still not convinced entirely get the humour that they'll be I mean, on this side of the pond get out of it it was of its time as you say I
3: mean this was the time when in the Citadel Journal you know the, the miniatures stuff they were naming like the slam and they were calling things like got a lot of bottle or yeah. pints of milk a day. So yeah. just come up with stupid names and things. You know, we, I think GW gets a lot of stick. But actually, they, the real genius was they took stuff, as you say, lots of, you know, they weren't daft. They knew what, what sold, obviously, and they sort of linked that together. But also, they put so they put a very specific twist on it. And they did it with 40K. That You know, essentially, they made space stuff, jammed a whole lot of influences together, and somehow made it work and become cohesive. And I think yeah. what that means is that you can... Hook into it, certainly with with Warhammer fantasy roleplay, quite easily. I always think about what the influence might have been. Is it Warhammer and the World's Pain that more
1: mm. maybe about a
3: Thirty yeah. Years War? Yeah, you don't have to know an awful lot of stuff about history, but you recognise a lot of it, and you instantly, you know, you you get it. So I, th-
0: I think that's a that's that was a really really good point from Graham there about that sort of that conflation of, of particularly those three games, that sort of mm. fantasy element then The Call of Cthulhu and The Rune Quest. That's a really, really good observation because... And you can feel like you're playing any one of those three games whilst you're mm. playing, obviously, just one game. And mm. I, I think that's a, that's a very, very good observation. Mm. And the corruption side of things that you would have got from Cthulhu, I think, is very strong. Yeah, so, and,
1: and there's insanity rules there as well. So yeah. the Cthulhu influence are strong. I mean, I'm quite happy with 4th edition. I know it's got its fierce critics. We'll come to 4th edition later, maybe, I don't know. But one of my minor disappointments about it is the 1st edition, the critical hits system, are, they are fiercely violent and fiercely fun. I think the fourth edition have kind of torn that down a bit. But yeah, if you go want to talk about Gallo's humor you they'll just read the critical hits from first edition.
3: I are you saying it's worth transplanting that from first into fourth? Um, I'm, I'm running it, see, in a couple of weeks' time for the, mm. for, for Dave and uh, a couple of other people. So, you know, oh, if you think it's worth it, r- r- transferring
1: it. The descriptions are just that wee bit more vivid, I think, in in, in yeah. first edition. I do know. you think that was a Merp influence though? Because that's what people loved about MURP was the. No, oh, that yeah. was the one single best yeah. thing. And maybe it might be a hint of MURP mer- They were daft. I mean, you think you're vicious? Even? We can do this, you know.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. when the when the game came out, they were within probably a year or eighteen months less probably of launching forty k. You know, yeah. Which they invested mm. a lot of money in. So yeah, okay. So they got a you know a product. And that, that they could have quite easily binned it like they did a lot of things. Mm. But they mm. obviously launched with a specific because Brian Ansell was nothing if not focused on business and and he knew what sold. And so mm. I'm just I'm just wondering if it was almost like an attempt to mop up all that stuff and then right, here we go. Buy yeah. all the miniatures.
2: I, I, when I actually started playing it. I dropped in and immediately felt at home. I immediately knew how the world the world would actually work about the features, like you say, the humour. And mm. I think there's a couple of influences that really were clear. I think also it's the Terry Gilliam, which mm. seems very, basically like a lot of medieval peasant with cows on their heads, scrabbling around in the muck, throwing.
3: Jabberwocky. So they got a Jabberwocky thing going on. Yeah, and the
2: second thing was 2000 AD. Mm. which really worked because I think if you like Captain America and Judge Dredd, that's the relationship between yeah. D&D and Warhammer fantasy Roleplay. And there's definitely, I'm just thinking about it. there's some kind of flavour similarity between 2008. Well, Gita burr reading
3: 2008, of course, because they were, yeah. you, know, you know, Judge Dredd and et cetera, et cetera, and Rogue Troop and that sort of thing. I think it's like the
4: the endurance following. I, th- I think there is, a you know, a, maybe a bit of nostalgia although it's like when we're talking about OSC, it's not all mm. nost- you know not it's, that's not the only it's thing not just about nostalgia, it. Is it? Um, but i think for a lot of people it is you know it's a game that uh uh it's got a long history um
1: yeah.
4: i think it's it, it does have a particularly british feel to it you know um
3: british osr like dragon warriors and a couple of others that i probably don't know anything
4: yeah. about but yeah yeah, yeah ab- absolutely you know the uh yeah, there's a, you, you know, um, particularly British. I don't know about, I don't know really, but it just feels feels like familiar, you know. And, um, mm. but uh, I mean, I can't, I, I suppose I can't really comment too much about the, the enduring appeal of it because I've only dipped into it. So, you you know, the times I have, I've really enjoyed it. For me, it's, it, it, I think it's the setting really that, that, that drags you in. Uh, yeah. Like, like rules wise, you could probably, turn other rules to it uh, and it yeah. was you know yeah you would get a different game um but the feeling of the of, of it would uh would be the same and i think i think that's the thing you know the um the yeah that uh kind of renaissance you know uh kind of early renaissance feel to it uh, yeah
3: well I, I mean like weird. i say you know we said already it's got it just feels very familiar you know because you know you've got your elves and your dwarves and your halflings and your gnomes and mm. you know I've got to say gnomes because otherwise Joe will kill me <laughs> yeah and then you, you've got that and then you've got sort of you know the, the funny names which sort of sound a bit German it's not so much in in the later edition but I think remember in the first edition there were lots of like stupid names yeah. that just you know made you yeah. laugh because kids <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bringing ourselves up to date then, what do we think about the the quality of the current line? I mean, the books themselves. I mean, the, the actual presentation is fantastic. I mean, just to, to touch on your point, Graham, about the the weird vividness of the John Blanche art. I mean, that's obviously missing. It's a much cleaner style. It's good. I mean, the, the artwork is great. I think it does miss something. You know, that weird jaggedness of the John Blanche stuff, which I don't normally favour, but I think it worked very
1: well since so set the same for fantasy roleplay. In terms of the content, what are your thoughts? Like Warhammer, fantasy roleplay, and the actual flagship campaign anyway within they're almost interchangeable for me and it's almost like going back to what i'd said before about having run a campaign it's like it almost felt unfinished business for me if you're a member of the sort of woofroot communities are quite dedicated to it there's been various versions of that campaign you know fans have went to the effort of rewriting the final chapters of that campaign Mm -hmm. and now we've got a kind of official uh rewrites of it again so uh, for me, they're almost kind of, almost equal to the same thing. To me, I've run very little material outside of the MFN campaign for Wolfrop and its various iterations. So I've been kind of focused really on that. I've got, I've got, I mean, I've been collecting the other stuff. I've got to start it. I it. Th- I think the Uber's right like stuff's a great idea. Seems mm-hmm. like a great idea just to base yourself in one little sort of decent sized town. Mm-hmm. And you can almost have like, Uber's like Enders, you know what I mean? It's like a continuous story where you continue in the same place and, and really build that. But uh I, you know, in another life, I'll get to that. But right now, I'm I'm, I'm re in within because I'm like I've got another group of, of my friends who were never part of the original campaign and work more ways steadily through that. And um, I, I'm really impressed overall. I mean, it's like eight out of 10, 9 out of ten. It was like you know they've, they've released the director's cut. There's mm. a couple of things where I think they could improve upon, but overall. I'm pretty impressed with
3: what i have done. Because I think it's one of those campaigns that's stacked up against you know the the greats like masks and the set. I think you've probably got that as well. So if you were gonna yeah. gonna measure the two, are they are they equal? Is
1: one edged it slightly? I can't I can't decide now until till I see the rewrite of the final chapter. Uh, but certainly the fourth chapter, which is complete, so Key's Left, which mm-hmm. is like a Warhammer version of medieval Russia. It's not without its uh, merits um, Mm -hmm. as a piece of writing and a piece of background. I've just sort of semi-digested, three quarters digested the latest chapter four Mm -hmm. called The Horned Rat, which Mm -hmm. completely replaces that. It's much more in keeping with Warhammer, kind of ups Mm -hmm. the stakes again. I've got a couple of minor crumbles with it as well, maps, which I feel are missing and stuff like that. But that's kind of overall is an arc to the campaign. I think it's much better and much more satisfactory, and I'm quite happy with it. So, but yeah, the end. With that, I'll be honest. Its reputation depends on the first three chapters, and people compared to Mask and the Orthotep were kind of quite premature because the last mm. two chapters not all that great. Exactly. You know, or, or, yeah, it's kind of ropey. I mean, not without not you know not completely crap, but you know mm. you know not nowhere near as good and as innovative as the first three chapters were yeah. at the time. It's kind of interesting because I've, there's been some chat on gaming forums about the end anyway, thing and uh, it's probably this, you know, if you compare it to something modern like a, a big campaign like a Dracula dossier for um, Nights nice black agents, which is completely mm. a new way of doing a campaign. Mm. Because I think if they nail this last chapter, I think it will be elevated again to all deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as our masks. It's like trying to, it's trying to end a TV series well, isn't it? Yeah, it's a challenge. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and a lot it's, of pressure. And it's fortunate they've got a the chance, you know, you other. Yeah. You don't get the chance to rewrite other mediums sometimes. Yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Talk about Game of Thrones or something. I don't know how many <laughs> people are looking to, for that to be rewritten, for example, you know. Oh, uh, well. It's never going to happen, but you can... No. And with this campaign, they're, they're, they're going to seize the opportunity to do that. So,
3: Dave, Rick, if you've bought the current rule book or whatever, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I have bought it, yeah, as,
0: as soon as it came out, in fact. So the first thing is it, it, it's very, very dense. Mm. Now, you know i'm a man who likes a bit of crunch every now and again mm. uh, but even for me it sort of uh, it felt a bit daunting but then actually again as we were sort of talking about earlier on the, the bits that you really need to get to grips with are fairly compact mm. and and lots of bits of the game you can kind of uh, leave to discovering it later a huge part of it is about the archetypes yeah you know, the professions and everything else and actually it's more fun if you don't read those yeah. and wait until somebody either becomes one of those. I think some of the bits I don't think are brilliant. I think it's always struggled a little bit with magic. I like the magic. Loose and loose and quick. I think it I think it looks fantastic. I think we do look at look at that original Warhammer was such a huge step up in class for most games. You know, it had become a little bit standardized. I think, you know, there weren't very many that had huge panels of of colour. Different types of layout that made it more attractive to read and so on. It's a very very dense rule system that I think actually benefits from knowing the fundamentals and then picking the bits out as you need them almost as you're going along. Mm. I think, as you said, Graham, I think the campaigns and the additional information and scenarios and so on that flesh out the rest of the the old world is what makes it really leap forward and become, you know, an absolutely wonderful game because it is such a is such a rich and diverse kind of view on a fantasy world. I think it it, it sort of warrants really taking the time to do it well. And I think in general, I think they have done it very well. I I think the rule system kind of stacks up. It's a little bit difficult in the initial stages as as a character, but, you know, That's part of the fun is trying to get somebody to survive for a period of time. And again, all the other bits that you need to, it doesn't use any weird funny dice that you have to interpret. It is sort of percentile based and therefore most of the rules you can pretty much Get via using just the character sheet. Once you have conquered that, I think yeah, it works. But yeah, it, it, it looks lovely. It is lovely. There are so many different ways that you can take it. Mm. There is there is the the human versus human issues that you have. You know that your protagonists are other humans, or they can be fantastical creatures like the scarvin mm. uh, and sort of lizardmen and so on. So I think there's there is a lot of depth to it, but it's not as overblown as other fantasy games are where you almost feel like you've got to try and it's almost like one-upmanship every time you play it it's got to be better than that whereas I think this rewards rewards campaign
2: play rather than very yeah. sort of short-term stuff yeah, but it looks fantastic yeah I think those are right this isn't a one-shot is it really no. I mean it's it's a bit more it's a bit more than that yeah I did did pick it up actually uh, my main thought was we played it with Foundry Uh and all I thought was thank god for that (laughs) yeah that's a great point yeah that is a great point because I mean I was looking I'm looking at I thought I would love to give this a go I'd love to run it Mm. my god it would take me a while just to Uh absorb the stuff there and actually rolling up characters my word that would take a bit of a while Mm. so I think you know some bridges might be an idea it'll be great fun to run but I think it is beautiful absolutely that's the first thing to realize one it really does mm. look nice illustrations are great it's got yeah sure it's got a lot of a flavor but there is a lot Um uh, yeah, that was it's a point. lot
3: yeah it's very chunky it's,
2: it's a big old tone and um you can usually tell how sort of comprehensible something is by the number of bookmarks i've got in uh,
3: <laughs> listeners there are a lot of bookmarks in that copy. there's a whole lot
2: of bookmarks <laughs> in that one so i think it's a bit it is a bit tricky to pick up quite quite too
3: quickly i'd love to do it and i think it is good so the rule book itself is fairly well laid out okay in the combat section but there's one particular table where it talks about um modifiers combat modifiers and It talks about things like you know firing into a crowd or mm. aiming you know or what and, and that isn't referenced anywhere else it's only in that <laughs> table okay yeah and it's it's broken down by the the level of uh, bonus or a minus modifier so, so i've done my own gm screen as you would okay and i've pulled those bits out because actually it's easy to reference so i think it, it feels like i hadn't quite nailed it yeah oh well i've seen
4: conversations with uh you and joe uh, mm. about yeah i know there's there's like a, there's a challenge rating not mm. challenge rating um sl
3: yeah SL. success level
4: success yeah. levels and then there's another way of fast uh, SL. Yeah,
3: which yeah. is what we ha- did.
4: It, it's okay for a game to kind of go. There's two ways of doing this. I think it, it needs to be very clear, you know, how we, you would use those.
3: And uh, and, and it, feel, it feels like to me like it's begging for a, a revised print. Mm. But I can't imagine them doing it. It's yeah. uh, I don't know any copies they've printed. But yeah.
4: uh, no, I, I don't. I, too I, soon I, I think for that. I think it, I think it is too soon for a, a yeah sixth edition.
3: It, it's just a bit about playability. Mm. But I think the heart of it is there and, and I, you know I think it's a, it's a great game. Well <laughs> I, in a couple of weeks i I'll be running it in person as well so I'll be able to compare the foundry oh. experience versus a IRL
1: Are you looking for a DD podcast or the Dark side? something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo DND RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old-school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a
2: game. It's the story where chaos rolls.
3: We're sort of moving into thinking about rules. Not sort of del- delving into the detail of it so much, but I think are the rules that emphasize the setting. I think obviously... They've sort of taken third edition and thrown it out the window and gone back to essentially an updated version of first. And I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to do a a side-by-side commentary of the rules. But it's obvious they've taken some of those lessons of actually let's, you know, we want combats to be over a bit more quickly. So Mm -hmm. using advantage in there, which obviously is a a gesture towards that. It's got its own challenges in terms of tracking that sort of stuff in in game, which I'm sure Graham will have a, a view on. But I think, I mean, for me, you know, the the criticals are there. They're perhaps not as lethal as they used to be, but it's still easy to get your face smashed in in mm-hmm. combat. You know, even if you know, it's always dangerous. I like that. I like the fact that corruption is a big thing in that as well. So even just being in the presence of mutants or cultists can cause you to become co- corrupted, uh, and that slow slide into you know, dissolute cultism can be is quite good. And again, this this thing about is it dark favors where you can say come on, If you did you fail that role? If you really like to make that role, you can take a corruption point. Yes, it absolutely calls back. But I think also there's a sense of, okay, let's try and make this as you know a more modern gaming experience.
1: In terms of emphasising the setting, the, the ones that spring to mind, the disease the disease mechanics uh, or disease rules. And we've, we've always been there. Uh, I think fourth edition, they've really went to town on them because they've got loads of diseases you can catch out. And they're a particular joy. And, and in terms of reinforcing, reinforcing the, the world and reinforcing the humor, they really sort of at home. So we did the last pod I was, uh, the last pod I did with you, Steve, on, on, on for your pod uh, was on tour. You yeah. know, no, nobody goes to the toilet and Lord yep. of the rings, right? People, people have to go to the toilet. If they're <laughs> in, you know, you know, you might, you might skip it, and you know, in certain sections of roof. But if you get the wrong disease, <laughs> uh, and with with roof, galloping runes you, over you're, the Yeah, you're going to the loo at uh, the most inconvenient moment possible uh, <laughs> for your lovely bastard of a GM. Uh, if you're unlucky, you know, if you get a certain disease, and that, that's that's in the rules, and and that goes back, and and. Maybe toilet humour isn't for everyone, but I think it's for... It's a very most British humour, though. Most of think. us Brits and most, most of us... I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, going to gamble and say
0: there's four of us here. <laughs> Sorry, 5 yeah, with Neil. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, um, who who who'd appreciate that? So so that just reinforces the setting, you know. The corruption stuff is the most kind of serious side. You know, chaos corrupts, and mm. you know you've got meta currency to sort of stave off that, and and much more meta currency than there was in first edition to just stave off that. But again, in a long campaign, you're going to go on that slide, and you're going to maybe have to make some interesting decisions. I think for your character, um, mm. as those things catch up on you. With
0: regard to is it, is it a modern game? I think it's quite a modern game. I think you've got I think. You know, uh, that sort of grim dark idea has translated into other games. I think Call of Cthulhu is still very sort of good, it's possibly slightly tempered a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have you have other things like, for example, Knights Black Agents, I think, is another one which is you know very much is sort of it, it in that area. I think there's a couple of other games as well that do it very well, but um, so I, I don't think in terms of the sort of territory it's fishing in, it's an old fashioned game. You could possibly argue it hasn't got that sort of storytelling, sort of narrative style that you've possibly got in a lot more. But I think actually that's to its benefit because uh, it, I think you could potentially ruin it and tend to gloss over things if you didn't sort of you know so sort of, for example if you were you were ill it would be well I'm ill for a couple of days and then I get back up and oh, yeah, away we go, whereas with the galloping trots you're in uh, incubation is one d ten hours duration one d ten days you know yeah. you're on the bog for a long time, and and it is important to have um, some sort of sewerage impact within the game I think yeah, sewerage
3: is definitely an important part of the game you know, yeah. The one. It, it,
0: it is is it going to appeal to everybody i, I, I definitely don't think it will. i think because there are elements in there there are big bits of crunch and stuff i don't mm. think it will appeal to many people who play you know games like dungeons and dragons fifth edition in particular it would definitely appeal to OSE players yeah. i would think it, yeah. as long as they don't mind sort of getting through the crunch getting out the other side of that which is then you know this is this this is the this is the rich sort of you know tapestry we're
2: about to sort of play in so uh, yeah i, I think someone
3: what do you think rick having come at, come at it in uh, sort of reasonably recently it
2: does feel quite modern it does feel a little i don't know it does feel slightly away on off on its own i think i don't know why but in terms of sort of or maybe it is the is the humor I don't know, Neil, what do you think? I mean, it's not necessarily a storytelling game as such, but it does, because the character generation is so precise. And because you do evolve very, very well-drawn characters, like the whole thing, character is plot, and therefore you can produce some really good stories because your character has such a really strong foundation. Also, the world is very Mm well-drawn. So I think... Storytelling is almost inevitable given those two aspects.
3: So we, uh, so Dave, Rick, and, and Neil, and, and Tony, uh, we we started playing through the start set, and, and it is brilliant. It's absolutely jam-packed with story hooks, etc., etc. Mm. Um, and actually, although the, the system is it, it's, a, it's a gaming system and it works and, it, and it's and it's fine, but I think actually there were quite a lot of opportunities for narrative play within that as well. So we had mm. uh, Rudy Clump and Klug he had oh, a very yeah. broad Midlands accent as he as he would do if I was <laughs> And uh but he he just wound everybody up. I think after a yeah. while, I think it was yeah, and, and you could and the, you could see the interplay between the characters. But again, that mm. was probably more came out of the how we approached and how it mm. was set up. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't mechanical; mm. it was fun, you know. Mm. And this, you know sergeant is just like ripping off everybody and uh, quite quite gleeful in his corruption. It was it was, it was good fun. Yeah, he liked him. was your mate, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um a sensible small business. A sensible small business. You could use any system, I think. To, to, to model warhammer i mean i think one of the key things would have to be in there to make it a, a warhammer game i mean we talked about diseases you know mm. it's like uh, it's like is it that is it the ripping yarns that old series where one mm. of them where the, uh, the the uncle was collecting all the different diseases I and mean, that's quite a that was quite a, a British thing to have. So I think th- there's that. What what else would you think you have to have in a fancy role in a in a in a game to make it fancy role play? It's, there's
0: that sort of peril. Mm. It, 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 but it's not just peril from diseases uh it's peril from uh, magic and corruption and religious sects and the other people with whom you're adventuring i think to, to put you into peril fairly quickly there is also that sort of idea that you know you really are only one sort of stab wound away from uh, you know, rolling up a new character so i think i think peril would be one thing i'd say is needs to be there
4: yeah yeah so the the, the one the, the most obvious one that stands out to me is is the uh, career's I think they are very thematic. They tell you a lot about the world itself. So even if even if you didn't have, you know, if somebody just said to you that there's, you know, no particular background, you know, all you're going to get are these um, careers. I think just by reading through them, you get yeah. a really good feeling about the game and, and, and the tone of it. And there's a game called um, Warlock. It's like, a, I think it's primarily a cross between uh, Warhammer and Fighting Fantasy yeah, uh, and you know it's got some some really nice uh, press and I I played it I really enjoyed it and it did feel very much like Warhammer it really well, I was, I was listening too.
3: to the Mud and Blood podcast and they were talking to the guy that, that created it and he was saying Actually, it is. It is a way. It, it was how his table could approach playing war and Fantasy role play because he yeah. just found this just too too much, which yeah. I can understand. And, and we will learn more about that when we play it in real life, as opposed to with the VTT yes. you know, doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Uh, yes. I mean, it may be that after the experience at, at, uh, at Expo weekend, that yeah. it's something we only play on VTT. But <laughs> think, we'll we'll find out, won't we? But I think yeah, yeah. I think Warlocks, are, yeah.
4: Yeah, and but but the thing in in the, I think the bit that that they take that that, that like really captures the essence of Warhammer wow. is, is the classes, uh, the epic But
3: uh, I might the, be picking up Warlock.
4: Yeah, <laughs> you never know. We'll find well, out. I believe I believe I heard the of the five Ruby designs who make it are going to be an Expo. Just so. Okay.
3: Hmm. Okay, well that's that's another thing to.
1: Stick yeah. on me, Christmas
4: listing. because <laughs> yeah. Expo is
1: Christmas. Come on, it is, isn't it? it is. I think the key, the key, the kind of distillation of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Um, I think it's inextricably tied to the setting. I always, I'm slightly puzzled by the people who are maybe. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm being uh, cruel, or not not cruel, but not understanding. But uh, you know, for me, it's the Empire. It's that Germanic Empire. I couldn't give. You know, people going, when's the Bretonnia you know, sourcebook? Couldn't give a toss about Bretonnia. <laughs> when's the Lustria sourcebook coming out? Now, and, and Lustria, to be fair to these guys who asked for this, I think it's been part of the conception of Warhammer since the start, places like that. But for me, you know, I could play the game happily for the rest of my life just in that Germanic empire. That, To me, that's, that's, that's the setting. That's mm. the key setting. Careers, which were quite an innovation at the time, that whole career system... Uh, it wouldn't be Warhammer fantasy roleplay without the career system uh, you can argue whether that's works or not you can argue whether it's elegant or not but it is what it is and mm-hmm. it's inextricably Warhammer fantasy roleplay for me uh, and yeah and then there's the, the 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 jeopardy and the violence that's three things and I think the humour so there's, there's my before humour, careers, setting, violence
2: I was just thinking about if there's another system you could actually use to play the old world. And I think it's quite telling that there really aren't many, I think. Yeah. It's difficult, yeah. apart from sort of sort of generic, general sort of
1: generic ones, BRP or whatever. Mm. I mean, you're, or, your Zweihand is a clear clone. It's the very good tribute act, you know. Yeah, it's uh, a yeah. pastiche, of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It,
2: the only one I thought maybe might do it, is tunnels and trolls because it has got that kind of atmosphere, yeah. but the trouble is that it's in no way this, the it, like
3: like Graham was saying. It hasn't got the undercurrent of menace either, does it? Really, I don't uh, think. But well, I, I see what you're saying.
0: What I do think is interesting is that you could you could take MERP and put that anywhere. It's not tied to Lord of the Rings in the way that Woofrup is very much tied to the old world. Much as I enjoy the game, I think it's absolutely uh, true to say, MERP does not need Lord of the Rings to survive. You know, you could you could no. put it on this anyway, but I'd, but I'd, I think it would be incredibly difficult to divorce the two. So I think that point about it being very much in in its uh, in its setting, I think, is extremely important.
3: I've, I've only got one comment. I mean, that I'm. I'm... I'm usually happy with... I mean, I play Earthdawn, so I'm usually pretty happy with fairly (laughs) crunchy rules, you know. But I I get the sense through reading the the rule book that that there appears to have been two design philosophies which were sort of vying with each other. You've got the, 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 the sort of the core rules... And then you've got a whole load of options on the side, which seem to change the the, the system quite or the, the the way the game plays quite effectively. So, for example, looking at success level, two completely different ways of judging that. I think Joe Old okay. Paint Seventy One on Twitter. Uh, well stretched old we fanatic is how I know <laughs> well, that's, the other, that's the one he delves into a lot of the detail on this but you can, it, it seems there are two very different design aesthetics going on and it, obviously one went out but they put the other one in and it just it feels it also feels like
1: two different games in one book not, I, I haven't even looked at Fast SL so I've, I've sort of played it as, as it's written and it's kind of mm. working so far so mm. Like seven or eight sessions in a campaign mm. kind
3: of thing. I think I think you pick one and go with it. I think it's just yeah. interesting that a game has got so many rule variations that mm. you probably haven't seen before, and yeah. they almost like seem to have just jumped in at, it, at the end. So it, it
0: does it is, does feel occasionally like they're almost by by putting in these other ways of sort of changing the rules slightly, but they're worried about the way the rules play. Yeah, I think if you if you think you've got a decent rule system, crack on. Yeah. And I think it is a decent rule system. I, you know, I I, th- I think that they've maybe tried to compromise a little bit and say, okay, there are, you know, you, you can remove elements of the crunch or make things a little bit quicker. Yeah. But you
3: know, horses, of course, I, I, I can imagine probably lots of discussions behind the scenes as to what actually went in, and then you know, they compromise of putting it all in, which is fine because we got we got a lot more toys to play with than in the same book for the same price. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, right, so thinking about uh, our experience of, of running or playing the game recently, either in-person or virtual, I mean, as you said, Rick, we've, we started running the the starter set on Foundry. The implementation on Foundry is amazing. Is, <laughs> I mean, to my mind, it's, it's certain. I mean, I've got quite a few different games with official modules on there, and it is the best, I think, by, by a long... It's, it certainly sets the standard. Um, I mean, it had quite a, an interesting history where the guy the designer or the, the, the coder, put it out and then got into a lot of trouble with Cubicle 7 because he had a lot of um, IP stuff in there, right. withdrew it all, but then got into conversation with Cubicle 7 because it's the same same code that's brought the official modules to, to bear. And it's fantastic. I think really good. Mm-hmm. What I do like about it is, it is it automates a lot without being too complicated. So if I think about things like the uh, unfounded the, the Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition module, it's a bit too automated so you you have to click tokens and if you forget it gets a bit I mean I don't know I mean my view is that it, it works really really well I mean I, obviously you guys will have with the exception of Graham uh, will have sort of seen the plain side I don't know what, what did you think of the Foundry implementation?
4: That's just absolutely fantastic I've never not seen a, any other VTT mm. system that competes with that
3: in terms I think, of I think it is, I think it is a benchmark isn't it really yeah you know? it, um, it
2: just made things a huge amount a huge amount easier and i think part of it was actually discovering in several places all oh, right you can just do it that way all oh, right there it was so many features there that made life easier it actually took a while to work out how it could make your life easier in various different places it's very very feature rich but there's so many different i thought it was yeah,
3: very it's quite intuitive i think which is which is a i think this yeah, it's a challenge in any code or anything like that sort of heard mm-hmm. um, i
0: yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing it face-to-face, but then yeah, I'm, I'm actually just looking forward to play, playing games yeah. face-to-face if I've had serious. But um I, I, I am interested because, as, as Rick's just said, it was just so easy and everything was automated and you didn't – as long as you sort of – Managed to uh, navigate your way around the various sorts of sheets within each character thing. Then it became absolutely as simple as you liked, and and there's lots of stuff in there. There's places to put notes, and you, could, you know, and the magic was particularly easy. I thought, which was which yeah. was good because I had a little bit of like, amazingly enough, I became a a sorcerer's apprentice, which which was pretty uh, unusual. You can't actually,
3: read, which is good. Yes, yeah,
0: and <laughs> um, you know, we all have our crosses to bear. But well, that's uh, quite
3: Warhammer, I think.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
0: But uh, well, it, it was absolutely brilliant. So virtually it was great. I think there'll be an element of, for the first hour or so, when we're playing face-to-face, or, or hang on a so second, what am I looking at to roll this? And, and mm-hmm. maybe forgetting some of the bits and pieces that yeah. you'd otherwise would be a click away. But, but uh, you know, I did enjoy it. It'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays. It, I mean,
3: it, it automated advantage. So giving it and taking mm. it away, and obviously tracked it all individually for those various yeah. NPCs. Um, so yeah, looking forward to playing it in in in, say in real life. I you like, i should say playing anything in real life. But I'm aware that there are going to be some challenges there, so I'm trying to do as much prep as I can <laughs> to, to try and make that as as easy. So Graham, I think you've been have you been playing it sort of in in
1: person or or have you? No, it's a, it's a, I've been playing on World Twenty. So okay. uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm i I do look. Slightly jealousy of what I see, Foundry. I mean, maybe I'm just looking maybe it's the grass is always greener on the other side, but like Cubicle 7 seem to be making a wee bit more of the 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 stuff to put on Foundry. I think it's a wee bit more advanced. I think I've looked out and having what sounds like a really competent guy and quite an obsessive Warhammer fan who's beefing away to to really do that stuff that you're talking about on, on Foundry. I don't think I've quite got that guy in Roll20. But Roll20 is great. I mean, you're talking about, you know, it will, you know, it'll calculate the character sheets and all that. You Advantage is quite easily tracked, you know. I just think there's a wee bit more advanced work required in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm screenshotting the artwork and all that kind of stuff for my handouts and all that kind of stuff. Whereas sure. I think I get the impression. Now, I haven't bought any of the modules, which are available now for... Mm-hmm. Row 20 so uh, I'm just using this sort of core package. Uh, But, yeah, I'm quite happy doing what I do. It's just sometimes it can be time-consuming. If I had the time, I'd be perfectly happy doing that, beaving away and prepping my game. Sometimes, you know, you're not time-rich, and uh, it's a bit more of a uh, a sweat to get the game ready uh, Mm. to run. But uh, Roll20 implementation's pretty good. That's pretty good. Go ahead. I
3: was going to say, I think the winning foundry... Is is just character creation because I mean we we sort of did a sort of pre session putting the characters together and I budgeted about half an hour per character and once we got up up and running we were doing it in about twenty minutes to create a character mm. which because of course it's it all roll mm. tables it's all drag and drop and I mean I will have quite a few pre gens for when we play IRL <laughs> just in case anybody anybody parks <laughs> it in game not the not the players hopefully but any of the characters drop down dead in game. <laughs> I mean, We've talked a little bit about plans for, for keeping it going. I think I think certainly it I, I really enjoyed running it. I've never I'd never run it before. That was the first time mm-hmm. I've run I'd played it, but 20 plus years. Um I, I liked it. I was I, I thought it was refreshing. I read the rules. It, it was intuitive in a lot of ways. Um you write down there's a lot of crunch to it. Um if I think of the games that I've got. That I want to carry on with. So, RuneQuest—that's been a long, long-term piece. So, that's coming to an end this year. Um, oh the God. One Ring is—that's going to be, you know, what I want to carry on with. But I, I would really love to carry on the adventures of, uh, of what we call an Uber's Reich CSI. So, the adventures <laughs> of the Watch in Uber's oh, Reich. Yeah you
0: know um the uh, the troll vomit specialists
3: <laughs> exactly as you say it's it's just there's a lot to it and i think there's a lot mm. of, of, of there's a lot of material out there taking on something like the the enemy within campaign is a, is a real stretch but it's it's doable uh, it's give, especially given the quality of, of the uh, things on foundry so yeah i think you know there are some games that i've that i've played and i thought great that's happy I'm, i've done that I'll put that to mm. one side but fancy role player I, I there's an itch there to sort of um, to really mm. get into some and, and,
0: and that's not bad when you think that you know that's a game that's thirty. Broadly speaking, it's the same game as thirty-five years ago. You know, oh, <laughs> and it and it's still, and it's still sort of bringing people in. So yeah, it's definitely.
1: pretty
0: good. Like you, there's not many games. Fine enough, the only other one I think that I have really stuck with and would continue to stick with is probably Call of Cthulhu. In the end, mm-hmm. yeah. I flirt occasionally with a bit of Dragon Warriors and a bit of Merp. Um, when I want a critical hit table, but I'd like to give fin- Warhammer Fantasy roleplay a bit of a go as well, I think. Mm.
2: Mm. Scary. Scary. Yeah. Really? Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, I think I would definitely like to give it a go, but maybe I find the ima- certainly face-to-face the amount of crunch is quite intimidating. I'd want to play it mm. if- before I actually started to run it, but he's mm. one hell of a game. And it's a lot of fun.
3: But it's interesting you so say I mean, we're all talking about Running it as well as mm. because often people will fall on one side or the other. You yeah, know, that people would not say, "I'm happy to play it, but I don't want to run it." But it sounds like mm. there's enough there to, to draw us in. But Graham, what, if, what from your perspective? When you're in the middle of doing something, anyway, is your intent
1: to get to the end of the enemy within? Uh, that would be that would be the, the ambition on on my part certainly. Um I'd love to do it. I'd like I say, that it feels like unfinished business from back in the day. Uh, the way we've arranged it just now is we're going to complete. The first chapter. So I've got a group of and it's four old pals who I grew up with. One of whom I game with. Like so, it's an interesting point. I game with this guy. I maybe ran like two sessions of D and D with him. Uh, and then he, ran, he He always kind of. He always had a kind of funny relationship with role playing in general. He wasn't wasn't quite sure it was from him. And then when he heard I was doing this, he said, bugger it! I'm going to give it a go again. And he's really taken to Warhammer. He, I think it's a good, relatable entry game or, or technically it's a re-entry for him to role play in, but he, you know like i said he, he only played a couple of sessions at indeed uh and he's sort of really taken to it um so we'll, we've agreed that we're going to, we're going to complete to the end of the first chapter I in mean, shadows and then i uh, you know i've said i'm happy to run wherever they want to play but i'm, I'm hoping that they'll elect to uh continue to continue the story and I think the, the winds are blowing that way already because they don't want to they, want to, they, they kind of put up, they, they, there was a bit of investment in learning uh, Rule 20 and the vagaries of the character sheet on Rule 20 so they probably don't want to get um you know, go back to, to base camp and start on another system doing that because we, be we will be playing online uh, yeah. you know, I, might, I might propose a game in the weekend where we we'll all get together from time to time but we're all in different parts of uh, the country so um, hopefully, we'll. Um, I would love to continue going and go through yeah. all the way to the end, all the way end. Which uh, the day we're playing would take like, several years, but what the well, hell? It's just what uh, the you hell? know, part of, part of it is just you know. And the last game, just for some reason, the last session we was just we were laughing all the time. And yeah. to emphasise the point of Warhammer, it's just a fun game, you know. Yeah, it's got mm-hmm. you know people use the I, I, you know Grimdark is Grimdark is like one half of it at really? the most the other half is actually quite fun and you know our game there's been a rhythm to our games even just like we're like six or seven or eight sessions in, and like you know there's maybe like a, one session which is almost entirely NPC, NPC interaction which mm-hmm. is where a lot of fun is to be had you've got all these relatable characters uh, and pastiche characters from some of the written material uh, and then you maybe you'll get a session where there's a bit of combat that's a bit serious and you know a bit Call of Cthulhu and here's a cult coming and you know there's, here's a monster but uh it's a fifty fifty thing, one of its just interacting with characters, being down a pub, watching NPCs getting drunk, getting drunk themselves, learning interesting things and gradually gradually um getting the lore of the world, ingesting the lore of the world because they're all kind of new to the Warhammer world. I'd love to just keep going with it right till the end.
4: Yeah. I I, I can see it working re- you yeah, know, really well as a as a uh, well campaign be because it's got that progression, hasn't it? Mm. it yeah, you know, your characters, your characters grow, you know, and uh, mm. become more interesting, um, more corrupt, I guess, as well. Uh, you know, so I, yeah, I can see it being a a, a great system for uh, a ongoing games. And I think you, you know, when when you start and you know, look, and you most of your skills are, you know, in the thirty percent range. Yeah, there's a lot of room to to improve. And, and as a player, you appreciate every one or two percent skill increase that you get almost. I remember your
3: character was so thrilled because he first of all he got a few silvers that he found in the mud <laughs> yeah. and then he got a leather hat to wear he was really yeah. pleased about that <laughs> I,
4: absolutely yeah it's like yeah you can, can take a knock on the head well a bit of a knock on the head no
3: yeah. it's not like it's not like in 5e where so, yeah, you get a, a few uh, gold crowns you know or something yeah. you know? like to get someone yeah. offers you a gold crown it yeah. means something fancy yeah. role play you know?
4: oh bloody hell yeah absolutely <laughs>
3: I think it's certainly a game. I think, as you said, that would reward that rewards campaign play and long term play. Oh,
4: definitely. I definitely. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so oh,
0: sorry, Graham. I'm, I'm quite interested about this. So, your uh, your man is pretty much coming to it sort of completely new. Yeah. How Did you sort of reference it to him? What did you? Was there anything in particular you sort of pointed at and said, "Okay, imagine that with bits of this"?
1: I, I mean, I can use the historical some of the historical references. I so said that you know it, it's Germany. There's, there's forests and castles, but there's towns. Um, it's not Lord of the Rings. It's a bit far forward. That there's gunpowder. You know, there's a big merchant class. His character in particular was an outlaw whose whose band had been broken up by the the authorities, and he was on the run at the start of the campaign. So I said to him, mm-hmm. like, "Imagine, imagine a kind of shit version of Robin Hood's very Men." you were one of them and you you know somebody somebody betrayed you and you'll get round up and you're on the run. And then he's his character is a cousin of one of their characters, who okay. in real life is my cousin, another <laughs> story. But uh, and, and he and his characters are Charlatan, so the two of them kinda of grew up being kinda of on it. So two characters are, are um sigmarites, one's a witch hunter Sigmarites, they're like fanatics. One's a warrior priest. And the r two are like the kind of Dell boys. They're like a wee bit dodgy, a wee bit. Funny. <laughs> and I used, that, yeah, all that kind of references as well. So, uh, one's a char- the other one's a charlatan. They're they're kind of from the wrong side of the law, and um, that just seemed to sort of that sort of really struck home. when the guy yeah. who's getting the outlaw, he just he just like, yeah, my character's a bit, you know. But the thing is, and he completely dismally fails regularly at human interactions. So, like, he <laughs> he's kind of Jack the lad and friendly and lower class.
0: Back. <laughs> so sort of please, Robin,
1: please please F off, you know.
0: <laughs> Robin Hood's miserable men. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: So um
0: anyways, I like it. Uh, it's I like it, it it just was interested because you know there's so many touch points that you could get to people who've, who are a bit more experienced about it. And for it essentially to be your you know, your first game, it must be that's a real baptism of fire, but mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, and like I said, there is a learning there was a learning curve with that. Getting used to the, the mechanics on Roll20 and all that. But uh, in terms of the world and the characters and the character relationships and interactive NPCs, that seems to have flowed quite naturally. That's been a, it's hmm. been, I'd consider it a, quite a good success so far. So, um, and want yeah. to continue. Yeah. Like I say, it's, it's sort of Jabberwocky meets Name of the
3: Rose. Jabberwocky meets Name of the Rose. There you go. Yeah.
1: yeah.
3: Oh, okay, okay. yeah. Wolfrup, I think, has got a lot of life left in it, yeah? I think, oh, yeah. you know, um, Cubicle 7 certainly seems to be a hammer and tongs bringing the stuff out, So long as they can get it printed, that is. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think at Expo, probably, if it's there, I'll probably drop quite a bit of cash on picking up. Certainly uh Middenheim, sitting in the White Wolf. I've had the, pleasure,
1: the I've had the pleasure of reading the new, both on PDF, the new sort of city books I brought out. And if you, if you liked Reich and you liked all the, the plot hooks yeah. approach to the Ubersrike, uh book and the starter set, you'll love those two city because it's like, both of them are great sort of fantasy city settings and the, the, the two books are absolutely more of that stuff. It's so great. So, yeah, even if you don't play like the End Within campaign or any of their campaigns, those two are just jam-packed. It's, it's right,
3: cool. sold. And they're both already on Foundry, which is happy days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <there you> <laughs> city books are as well. Oh, all right, guys. There's yeah. loads in that. Thanks very much. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks very much. No. Thanks for listening to another exploration of my gaming vexes. If you've got any thoughts you'd like to add to what you've heard here, or a gaming vex of your own you'd like to offer up for discussion, you can contact me on Twitter, at allanthar, or we can leave a voice message. The link's on the podcast webpage and anchor, or can be found in the show notes. Until the next time, may all your games be free of vexatiousness, and be excellent to each other, always.